0: It's a brand new episode and the first one of 2014 for Cycle Talk S.A. I am Brad Brown. Happy New Year to you. We are halfway through January, so a little belated, uh, but better late than never, I guess. It's good to be with you once again and to kick off a brand new year uh, talking cycling here on uh, South Africa's uh, premier cycling podcast. It's good to have you on board. Thank you for taking the time to download and listen to it. Uh, coming up on this week's show, I, I just literally got off a uh, Skype with uh, the most amazing dude you'll ever chat to in your life. Uh, He is doing something amazing. Uh, He has been on the road for six months. He's cycling across Africa and not just across Africa. His plan is to cycle through every single country on the continent and he'll end up uh, heading into Europe and then getting to London for the 2015 Rugby World Cup. I'm talking about Ron Rutland. He's doing some amazing things, doing it uh, in honour and to celebrate the life of someone pretty cool as well. So uh, that's coming up on this week's show. And then I also, uh, this week, touched base with Brad Jackson from the VW Cape Herald. That's coming up pretty soon, and entries are closing even sooner. So uh, chat to Brad to find out a little bit about the race down in Eastern Cape, in Port Elizabeth. Uh, find out what you can expect from a road cycling and a mountain biking perspective, act, uh, actually. So if you're going to be down in PE and you're planning on riding that race, you can get all the details here on Cycle Talk SA this week. Before we get into the show, though, as always, if you'd like to be in touch, you can podcast at CycleTalkSA.coza. You can also tweet us at CycleTalkSA.coza or pop us a message on our Facebook page as well. And I ask it all the time too, if you wouldn't mind, if you listen to this podcast through the iTunes platform, if you would leave us a review on iTunes and a star rating, it just lets other people find this podcast just uh, pretty much like you did. And obviously, the more people who rate and review the podcast, the easier it is and uh, the easier it makes it for other people to find the podcast on that platform. So uh, if you would do that, I'd be highly appreciative. And who knows, I could give you a shout out in an upcoming episode of Cycle Talk here. So But let's get straight into this week's show and uh, the awesome chat I had uh, with Ron Rutland. I stumbled across uh, this uh, young man on social media and am blown away by what he's doing. South African, up north in Africa, on a bicycle Uh, It's an absolute pleasure to welcome onto the show this week, Ron Rutland. Ron, thanks for taking the time to to catch up. You're currently in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia, uh, taking a slight break to sort out some more visas. But uh, yeah, off the bike and it's good to catch up.
1: Oh, Brad, yeah, thanks so much uh, for for reaching out to me. Uh, Wonderful to hear your voice. And uh, yeah, I had a a wonderful week off the bike, but uh, edging to get going again.
0: Ron, the the, the reason I stumbled across you, I'm always looking out for guys doing some really amazing things and taking on some great adventures, and that's how I found you. And you are doing something amazing at the moment. You're six months into this trip, which you reckon will take you about two years to complete you basically cycling from South Africa through Africa through every single country. I mean, it's been done. That I mean, Rion Manser circumnavigated, like literally went all around the map of Africa. There's guys that have cycled from Cape Town to Cairo. But you going through Africa, going through every single country on the continent. Tell us why,
1: um, Brad. At, the, at its most basic level, uh, I think it's the performance of a. A boyhood dream of mine. Um, not specifically cycling through Africa, but you know, growing up, I read every book um, there was to read about travel and adventure, and whether it was people crossing oceans or exploring the Antarctic, or you know, people riding motorbikes around the world, or whatever it was. Um, and I guess I've never grown out of that, And never, those dreams have never died, um, and as I've grow, grown older, I mean, I think you introduced me as a young man, <laughs> that's very flattering, but it's only with older age that I've actually um, started realizing that it's not always somebody else that has to be doing these great things, and uh, kind of got tired of reading about other people's stories, and decided uh, I wanted to, yeah, just do something do something different, and, uh, you know, I've, uh, you mentioned Rion Mansa, and he's certainly, his book, and subsequently I've Got to know him fairly well, and he's been a big influence and a big inspiration. And uh, you know, when I sat and looked at this map of Africa, you know, I've only took up cycling a couple of years ago, um, and then realised that you know what a wonderful way to travel um, and see the world. Um, and I looked at this map of Africa, and I wanted to do something in Africa, and I just couldn't decide which area to do. So I said, Bugger it, you know, I'm going to do the whole thing." <laughs> um, and it's not, you know, I'm not trying to do do a world first per se, or do something that nobody else has done. But for me, I've never done it, so uh, it's an adventure and a half. And um, yeah, I plotted a route that I think is possible, um, and 18 countries into a 48-country African leg of the journey. Anyway, in um, it's so far proved, yeah, it's proved the case. I know, it's been interesting, but uh, you know, having the time of my life.
0: Yeah, you you say the African part of the journey. It's not ending in yeah. Africa. Tell us, tell us what the whole plan is.
1: Yeah, Brad, um, so I I was sitting sitting with this map of Africa probably in December 2012 when it was all coming together, and, um, yeah, I decided I wanted to do every country, and basically, because I've read every book and blog and everything about the subject, you kind of get an idea for what distances people cover and what distances are, uh, you know, realistic. Um, And, you know, I'm a a huge, huge rugby fan. I've been to every Rugby World Cup since 1995 and, uh, you know, to go and watch them. Um, So it was inevitable that somehow... By hook or by crook, I would have been in London anyway to watch the, the World Cup. And, you know, I suddenly realized, it dawned upon me that uh, if I left soon, which ended up being six months later, I could just about get to London. So I, plotted this route, I thought I'd cycle to go and support the Springboks, uh, get to London in time, and then uh, watch the Rugby World Cup. So I tried to plot the route that would end in Morocco, and I could just cross the Straits and cycle up through Spain. But little old Lesotho basically defined the whole trip. So it kind of forced me east to start. And uh, from there, I just couldn't get the, the route to work to end in Morocco. So I actually ended Cairo. Um, in terms of the African side of it, which will be my 48th country, Egypt, um, and then yeah, uh, I've got I want to try and reach uh, Cairo by about February March um, 2015, um, and as you say, you know that's, there's a lot of people who do a lot of cycling, and that's a, Cairo to London is a fairly well documented route through the Middle East and up through Turkey and and west. Eastern Europe to 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 London. Um, and I think it'll take me about six or seven months. So I'll be riding through Europe in the summer. I haven't plotted the exact route through Europe. I'll just see, see how it goes. And then, um, yeah, I'll sort of reach London by September.
0: Ron, it it sounds absolutely amazing. Tell me tell me a little bit about uh, sort of what goes into planning a trip like this. You say it was if if you did it fairly soon, you could have made it by London. So there was six months that you basically had to put this thing together. But, but what goes into putting something like this uh, together?
1: Um, Brad, I think uh, – To be honest with you, people ask me what the hardest thing is, and the hardest thing is getting to the start line. Um, You know, I'm a bachelor, and I I don't, you know, I obviously have a wife and kids, it would be quite hard to do this if I had that. So I guess from that point of view, I didn't have too much to to worry about. But, you know, you still got your life in Cape Town, you know, you've got to, you know, it's it's, it's things like, you know, getting out of your leases, getting rid of your stuff. You know, I've been renting a, 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 I was renting a furnished flat, so I didn't have much stuff of my own. But literally, it was, you know, in terms of, it was more preparing to sort of clear up my life and just sort of put everything, you know, to get that sort of done was as hard as planning the trip. You know, as I say, basically once you bought a bicycle um, and, you know, you've only got four panniers, you're going take so much stuff. So in terms of t- stuff to take, it's actually relatively straightforward. Um, but what I spent a lot of time was obviously, as I say, was getting uh, my life sorted out and, and making sure that there was nothing hanging in my head when I left. But it was also um, logistically, I think it came down to the biggest challenge this whole journey was going to be visas. And as a South African passport holder um, in Africa, you probably need about 35 visas out of the 48 countries I was going to. And some of them are pretty difficult. So um, I spent a lot of time um, planning how I was going to do the visas. uh, And that probably took as much time as anything else. And then, um, yeah, then it's the old thing of looking for money and looking for support. Um, and I think the most important thing is I set the date of the 1st of July or 30th of June for me as the departure date. And I said, no matter what happens, I'm leaving on that date. If I'm, if I'm ready or not ready, I've got the money, I don't have the money, I'm going to be leaving and make it work. And I think somebody told me there's nothing more powerful than the made up mind. And you know, I made my mind up and I'd, literally, I literally sold everything I had, I gave everything I couldn't sell to charity. So I was leaving come hell or high water. And it was just, you know the support that I received from so many people to get me to that start line is incredible, absolutely incredible. And yeah, I left on the third of June, and um, yeah, with some, with some wonderful support from, from people and you know some corporates, but also people that are behind the scenes, just friends that have just sort of believed in my dream as well and, and helped make it happen
0: yeah it's yeah it's amazing you you talk about making that decision and setting a date and just going things fall into place when when you do that and ron what what's been the biggest challenge i mean you've mentioned the visas, but from a i mean obviously people are have, have their, their sort of preconceived notions of what Africa is like well, what's been your biggest challenge outside of the visas to to have to deal with
1: well bro, I think that's a little bit of part of my journey is to try and prove that africa isn't this big scary scary place you know and um and yeah if the most no, my biggest challenge simply has been water. Um, you know, you learn to live without a shower, and you learn to live without those sort of comforts. But there has been two or three times when I've actually run out of water, um, and you realise that, you know, it's, you know, we have all in the you know our busy day-to-day lives. We you know we we get concerned about such relatively irrelevant things, and you realise that at its most basic level, water is the most important thing to us. Um, so it's been two or three times when I've run out of water, and you know, been in a little bit of trouble, but just by some you know, stroke of luck or miracle, whatever you want to call it, you know, just when things have looked at their darkest, I've gone around a corner and there's been the first village I've seen in two days and they've got a water pump that's working or, you know, you find a stream with some water. So, yeah, short answer water. Um And the second thing would just be the general road conditions. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a fantastic cyclist or my bike fully weighed, you know, fully packed is about 45 kilos. So when you've got days and days of roads that are sandy, It's pretty tough going, eh? Um, And that's when you really find (laughs) you find yourself your your mind starts questioning and things like that. But yeah, so it's that would be the thing: various road conditions and water. But people-wise, Brad, it is unbelievable. Um, I've been on the road, as I say, just over six months. Um, Had absolutely no, not one security concern. I've had no one try to nick anything. Um and I've stayed in some pretty interesting places. Um, you know, and so many people like I think almost expected me to have my bike stolen by now or, you know, expected to me to have my bag stolen or something like that. But it's just, you know, you obviously have common sense and you know, especially in big cities when you do go through them, you know, like you would in anywhere any big cities in the world. Um but then yeah, you know, in, in the last six and a half months I've never ever once had it um been turned down for a place to put my tent. Um and from a human point of view, it just gives you so much You know, confidence in the human race, you know, and and just in people in general. And you realize that 99.9% of human beings are amazing people. And unfortunately, it's the 0.1% that seem to make the news and seem to make, you know, give our perceptions of Africa or from the outside world anyway. So, um yeah, that's been a little bit of the story of my journey so
0: far. It's actually so funny that, that people sort of expect your bike to get nicked because you're in Africa. Uh, I can tell you a story. My dad cycled across Spain the last European summer last year, and he had his bicycle stolen in Spain. So, I mean, <laughs> like... <laughs> you, there we go, exactly. <laughs> it's actually really, really funny. And uh, But, yeah, Ron, I mean, it sounds it sounds amazing. As far as the, the sort of distances that you're riding on a daily basis, You you said that it was quite difficult, and you don't really want to get caught up in... Uh, in the sort of daily grind of how many K's you're doing, but but on average, what are you sort of covering?
1: I've um, done uh, well. The short answer: I've done everything from about 15 K's, which was every every one of those kilometres, every meter was pushed through sand, uh, on some days in Western Mozambique, um, to to a day when I did 180 K's in in Northern Zambia, which had a great tailwind, wonderful roads. All seem to be downhill, and everything kind of clicked into place. So that's the two extremes of the scale. But I'd say on a normal riding day, anywhere between sort of seventy to a hundred k's, um, and that would be a normal day on the bike. Um, and obviously, you know, that, but then that, that, that also builds in enough time, you know, enough fat, I guess, that I can have days off when there's, you know, your body needs to rest. You can't cycle every single day for eight hundred days. But you you need to rest you need, you need to sort out visas. Um, there are going to be times when you're going to you know be feel a bit under the weather and get a bit sick, so you need to build in a little bit of fat um, so yeah, um, if you take total distance which I'm going to estimate to be probably around between forty and forty five thousand kilometers by the time I have finished divided by the rough number of days which was seven hundred and something or eight hundred days it works out to somewhere in the mid fifties is what I need to if I cycled every single day so um, on average, I need to do about three hundred and fifty ks a week. Uh, but I try and do that in five days instead of seven days.
0: Okay, so then you basically back up and so, you you've got got some time to to just chill and and catch your breath basically and uh, and get logistics in order for, for the next sort of part of the journey. I'm sure.
1: Yeah, exactly. And um, I actually had a one of you know for me the journey the moment I made the decision to do this trip was for the adventure started and the so people that you know I met in the lead up to it and one of those was Kingsley Holgate who was who was super helpful and um, it's a bit of a story in its own. And I you know, through a friend arranged a. A chance to meet with him at his home in, in Natal, you know, I thought he might give me an hour of his time on a Sunday afternoon. So I met it, went, to, arrived at his home at four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, and left two o'clock on Monday morning. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was a very liquid-fueled meeting, um, yeah. but it was uh, to spend some time with a guy like that was, it was hugely inspiring for for me, and to see his enthusiasm, someone who's you know, if you, you know, on Wikipedia he's the most travelled man in Africa or something, and uh, to see his enthusiasm for this project was amazing. But so my point was that he's the one that really said to me, Ron, And without being corny, it's not about the bike, you know. You, this is an amazing African adventure you're about to undertake. That you happen to be doing on a bicycle. So keep reminding yourself that, you know, um, and you're going to be. This is, you know, the route that you're doing is unique. Some of the areas you're going through, you're never going to see them again in your life. So make sure that you actually. You, you absorb everything around you and you take it and you build in it enough time that you can experience some of these iconic African places and people and ceremonies and things like that. So I've been very cognizant of that. And of course, there's days you know when you're riding and you you're just trying to you know you're trying to build up some um, you know I guess credit and adverted commerce so you've got some miles in the bank. Um, but I have you know and that's the great thing about a bicycle. Is that the unique thing about a bicycle is you feel every little. Incline, decline. You feel every breath of wind. You feel, you hear every noise. You smell everything. Um, you, you're so close. I mean, second to walking, there's no way you can be closer to people. So, you know, I'm always stopping in villages for a cup of coffee or whatever the local food is there, and chatting to people. And you know, obviously the language barrier is often a, a thing, but it's amazing how humans can still talk to each other and still communicate, even if you, you don't share a common language. Um, and for yeah, so for me, it's yeah. It's a, without being corny, it's not about the bike, um, and um, yeah. That that's the sort of the reason for not, I guess, sprinting through Africa. Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it sounds like a, an an amazing, amazing adventure, and, and I'm really chuffed that you are sort of stopping along the way and, and getting to, to sort of meet people. And, and I think I sort of came across you just before Christmas, actually, on uh, on social media, and uh, I was checking out your photos of your Christmas lunch, and uh, tell us a little bit about that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, um, but I ended up, um, you know, it's, it's quite hard to plan. You know, it's quite hard to plan exactly where you're going to be when. But I found myself in far northeast corner of Uganda in a in a, in a border town, um, with you know, not knowing a human, obviously not knowing a soul. Um, and on Christmas Eve, I arrived in this town. I think it was in the late afternoon. Um, and, you know, I was looking a little bit lost and just trying to find a place to pitch my tent or, you know, a cheap, grimy guest house to, to check into. With uh, this this, um, this Portuguese guy weighs me down. Um, just, you know, I says, what the hell are you doing, basically? <laughs> so I got chatting to him. And, um, and anyway, then he introduced me to a South Sudan friend of his who ran, who runs a local, a local shop on the main – on the high street there. And we had an afternoon coffee together. And uh, next thing it's um, the South Sudanese guy invites myself. And uh, this Portuguese guy works for an NGO to lunch the next day at his home with his family. So I had a, um, a goat stew Christmas lunch with a Portuguese guy and a South Sudanese guy and his family in far northwest Uganda. <laughs> so it's a pretty unique Christmas and uh, makes for a very, very memorable one too.
0: That, that's one you're never going to forget, I'm, I'm absolutely sure.
1: <laughs> no, completely. And it's um, those little things, you know, you never know what's around the corner. You know, I was expecting um another just another day on the bike. Uh, absolutely it, it was just gonna be another day for me. And next thing I got persuaded to spend is you know, just just to, to get off the bike for a day and then join these guys and uh it's been an absolute highlight and you know, there is there's nothing there was nothing fancy about it or anything, but it's just a simple meal with wonderful folk uh in a unique part of the world and it's those are exactly the memories that you that you take away from this trip.
0: Ron, are you, you obviously are, but uh, how are you documenting this, uh, this whole journey?
1: Um, Brad, I've actually, um, yeah, so basically, um, I've got a dictaphone, is, is the short answer, and I try and do something every day a couple of minutes into a dictaphone. Um, and I've got a friend of mine who's kindly agreed to transcribe those. So I think that's good. Those are kind of what my diaries are, and that's, that's stuff that I'm just going to keep in my own background. So afterwards, if I, you know, um, you know to, just for me, it's a record of, of my journey. And it's, the nice thing with a dictaphone is that you can hear how you feel you know A, my handwriting's so shocking that I wouldn't be able to read if I wrote my own things down um and yeah you know I listen back to some of them sometimes you know when I, and, I, and I, you can actually hear your your tone of voice you can hear if you're on a high or if it was a struggling day so I think that's a nice thing with doing it like that um but also I've just started doing you know I had so many friends that have been so you know so interested in what I'm doing and I was struggling to sort of update my website, you know, with blog entries and finding things, you know, um, you know, finding a sort of any sort of routine. So I've just started doing a weekly update, um, and basically it's very simple. I've done a little template for myself where I talk about some of the highlights of the week, some of the challenges of the week, you know, where I've, you know we to and from, um, and just some of my thoughts. And I email that out to basically anybody who wants it, and I also post it on my website, which is fatkidonabike.com, and I send it out through um, the, my Facebook page and, and Twitter as well. So I'm trying to do that on a weekly basis. I'm doing it for about six or seven weeks now, um, and it's a great way for me to sort of um, you know, to, yeah, remember little things that have happened um, and for people that are interested to, to share my journey.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's also I've been following those and and they're amazing. What I'll do is I'll post those links as well, so if people want to uh, follow your journey along with us, they can. And then just finally awesome. to wrap things up, Ron, t- tell me about Letty. I mean, there's a big big part of this as well that that uh, you, you're sort of doing it uh, for, for someone else as well. Tell us tell us the story about Letty.
1: Yeah, Brad, it's 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 an interesting one. It's it's a Letty is a her name is Nikki Haynes, and um, she's a very dear friend of mine. Her and her husband are a wonderful couple with three young kids uh, and I've only got to know Letty since I've been back in South Africa the last few years but it's just one of those, she's just one of those people and they're one of those couples that yeah, just from the moment we got to know each other we became very firm friends and um, a couple of years ago um, she got diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, and. Her and her husband are the most active people you can possibly imagine. There's I don't think their family has a TV because their kids are just out and about, you know, climbing trees, running. He's a keen paddler. Nikki's a great cyclist and runner. And they're just active, healthy people. And for someone, you know, for that and that can you know, so so healthy to get struck down with cancer it was a shock to so many of us. And basically the way that all of us who who know her well Have kind of supported her is by celebrating our own health and you know um, celebrating the fact that we are active and that's the way that we support her you know and anyway so she fought breast cancer and for that whole year we were doing things like Letty's runs and Letty's this and just you know building up this good this, this sort of. Was goodwill and and sending her positive vibes and just showing that we're supporting her, um, and then wonderfully um, at the two oceans two, at, at the beginning of 2013, that two oceans, she got cleared with cancer just before that, um, and it was just a time of celebration and um, you know and, and we did a Letty's or well, some of the guys did it. I ours, unfortunately injured, but some of the guys did a Letty's run, which basically they did um, the, the That uh, you know, a a big run overnight before the two oceans basically ran to the start line and ran the two oceans, and it was such a time of happiness. And then about a week later, or two weeks later, um, uh, Zug, who's Nikki's husband, sends out an email to all of us, and it's the most I've never in my life had had an emptier feeling. And basically, the short of it was, guys, um, Nikki had a pain in her shoulder, went to just thought it was you know a, a bruise from a fall or something on her back. But unfortunately the cancer's come back and it's come back much more viciously. It's come back, it's attacked the bones. Um and yeah, so from the high of having it cleared literally a month later, having this news, um, was devastating. And so, you know, for me I'd already decided I was doing the ride and and for me it gave my ride some purpose. So I dedicated it to Letty. Um I called it Letty's ride. And for me, it's you know I feel so helpless that I can do so little. But you know when I'm having you know <laughs> I joked with Nick and I said to you know I'm calling my Barclay. He said every day when I straddle you, you know I'll be thinking, <laughs> I'll be thinking of you. And you know on the days when I'm having a good day. Um, I, I do. I just genuinely take a moment so often during the day, just to, you know, just to smile and just to realize how lucky I am that I'm physically able to do this journey, that I'm, you know, I'm healthy enough to be, you know, cycling uh, the most amazing continent in the world and you know, just living a dream. And then on days when I think I'm having a tough day, you know, I'm pushing, gr- pushing my bike through sand or grinding it, you know, I do often just, you know, it puts everything into perspective. I just think about Nick's and her battle and just realize how insignificant my problems are to what she's going through. So. It's been an incredibly difficult eleven months or so, and uh, but Nikki is the most, the bravest human being I've ever, ever met in my life, and she's fighting it incredibly hard. It hasn't been easy. Um, it's been, in fact, it's been very, very difficult. Um, but if there's anyone who's going to beat this thing, it's her.
0: Ron Ratlin, that's an amazing, amazing story. I think what you're doing is phenomenal, and uh, yeah, I definitely look forward to catching up again soon. Uh, safe travels, and and we'll definitely chat soon.
1: Brad, thank you so much. It's been wonderful to chat.
0: We, have, uh, I mean, we talk about it so often here on the show. We have some amazing races around the country, and there's another one coming up very, very soon. Uh, entries are open now. They're not going to be open for too much longer, and it's an absolute pleasure to welcome the race director, Brad Jackson of the VW uh, Cape Herald, onto the show this week. Brad, thanks for taking the time to chat to us. Uh, time's running out, isn't it? Yes, the guys don't have too much time to get the entries in. Brad, tell us a little bit about uh, the the Cape Herald. I mean, it's the the second oldest classic, if I'm if I'm correct in in South Africa. It's been going for a long time. Can you tell us a little bit about the history?
2: Yeah. Um. Let's, yeah. It started. I think it's 29. I'm 29 years now. Um, was uh, originally obviously the road road cycling event was the main main focus, and for for many years um, it was. Yeah, one of, the, one of the national classics on the road cycling circuit. And there's always been a seeding event for the Cape August. And um, about five years ago, uh, we introduced the mountain bike component as often as a, a 105k road cycling event, as well as a mountain bike race.
0: I mean, like like so many of these... So so many of these races do sort of evolve. Where it started out as one thing, but it turns into a whole sort of festival of cycling. You you've mentioned the road component, but let, let's chat a little bit about the mountain bike side of things. That's that's fairly new uh, addition to 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 the race. Tell us a little bit about it.
2: Yeah, look. So the the road um, the road event takes place mostly within Port Elizabeth, you know, right, right around the city. Um, to get to the real nice mountain biking, we've obviously got to head out of town a little bit. So the mountain bike event takes place in which is about a forty minute drive from PE. Um so yeah, the mountain bike uh, event takes place on the Saturday with the road event on the Sunday. All
0: right. And then as as far as the mountain bike event goes, can you can you talk us uh, through a little bit uh what, what people can expect if they if they are planning on riding distance wise and, and sort of terrain that they'll be covering?
2: Yeah, okay. So um a lot of mountain bikers will be familiar with the Addos Viewberg area um in the eastern States. it's probably one of the favorite mountain biking playgrounds. Um so it takes place out in Edo. Um the kind of terrain is, is quite spectacular, you know, and it is extremely diverse, right? There's actually all sorts of different environments. Um from uh you know, they start out on the flats in the orange orchards and head out into the Zeeberg Mountains. Um with spectacular views and, and really good single track. Um Really nice mountain bike trails so that have been set up up in that area.
0: All right, sounds sounds awesome. And, and distance of of the
2: race itself, Brad? Okay, so the mountain bike the, the, there's uh, three distances on offer. Um, so the 80k is quite it's called an extreme challenge. It's quite quite a challenging route, um, 80 kilometer. And there's a 60k for your your sort of adventurous riders, um, a little bit easier than the 80k. And then a 50K is really for the um, you know, novices and the families that want to go and just enjoy getting on their mountain bike.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So, so there's a, a little bit for everyone. So, I mean, it's a whole family. And as, as mountain biking is, I mean, it's a, it's a whole family thing. So you can bring everyone down. And there's, there's something that's challenging enough to keep uh, sort of all levels interested. And then let's, let's just touch on the road side of things, too. Uh, can, can you tell us a little bit about the distance and, and if, if somebody's never done uh the the Cape uh, Herald before. Uh, can can you tell us what they can expect from a road point of view?
2: Sure, okay. So on on the road side we have um, the main distance is one oh five kilometre. Um, which is it's a fairly challenging route. You know, we've we've put in a few of the, the hills, you know, the popular P E cyclist hills. Um
0: mm-hmm.
2: it heads out along a uh, very, very scenic routes, you know, through the suburbs, cross right, country through the suburbs of PE. Um then you head out into like sort of the outlying sort of farm areas and that. Um, and then probably half of the route you've you're sort of hugging hugging the coast on your way back into the finish. So beautiful views of the you know, the sea as you ride along the beachfront uh finishing around the marine drive. Um, so yeah, very scenic route, a couple of little hills, um, nothing too extreme on on the climate side, but a few hills to keep things interesting. Just- um, and then we have also the 55K, which is, you know, for, for the uh, not-so-serious riders. Also, a very scenic routes. Um, again, half of it, at least, is kind of along the coastline, with spectacular uh, views and time. Um The 55, obviously, a lot less climbing and a lot less difficult
0: all right awesome so so two, two two like diverse distances there for people of of different abilities as well uh entries uh they closing fairly soon how can how can people go about entering uh and and when do they close yeah
2: um entries are open on the um the website herald cycle today um online entries yeah, so Open, there is late entries available at the registration at the expo, you know, at the expo um, but there's a late entry penalty of uh, 50% of the entry fee. So we really encourage people to get onto the website and get their pre-entries in. Um, yeah. Maybe just something else to mention quickly is the, um, we've got quite a, quite a nice expo um, that takes place, you know, with, along with the registration. It's um, the boardwalk on the, beach, the beachfront. Um, we've got some great things in store, you know, plenty of, uh, stalls and, uh, cycling related things for the, for the guys to see. Um, we're also going to have Dylan Victor down doing some, some trial demos, um, which will be quite entertaining. I don't know if a people have seen anything like that before. So yeah, it's going to be quite a nice festival. We've got a, um, a gear 10, set up on the Saturday afternoon. Um, and it's a yeah, it's a real, real nice festival or festival weekend.
0: Oh, it sounds fantastic, and, and P always sort of rolls it out. I mean, I, I always go down for Ironman every year and, and absolutely love Port Elizabeth. So, yeah, it's a great place to cycle. And, and Brad, want to wish you all the best. Uh, that online entry, the, the website where people can enter, what is it? It's
2: uh, heraldcycletour.co.net.
0: It's as easy as that Tour.coza. what I'll do is I'll pop those or oh, that link in the show notes as well for this episode uh, and you can enter and, and click directly straight through there Brad Jackson race director of the VW Cape Herald uh, Tour thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to catching up soon Well, the first edition of Cycle Talk SA for 2014 in the bag. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Ron. And yeah, I will definitely keep an eye out of with uh, what he's up to, and we'll get him on the show again in the next four to six weeks and just continue following his journey here on Cycle Talk SA. I think what he's doing uh, is phenomenal, and I think deep down, every single one of us would love to do something like that, but obviously, uh, not not really possible for most. Uh, it's, it's really difficult, but hey, i live vicariously through Ron Rutland. I don't mind. I think it's fantastic what he's doing. And also thanks a lot to Brad Jackson for chatting to us today as well. Uh, until next week, be in touch, podcast at CycleTalkSA.coza. Tweet us, CycleTalkSA, or look us up on Facebook as well. I look forward to hearing from you. Until then, have yourself a superb week, and we'll chat soon. Cheers.